Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to say words of gratitude to the people that are teaching and leading in youth ministry and children's ministry and adult ministries here at the church, not only today, but throughout the entire week. I want to say thank you to our tech team for connecting us both in person here at Fifth Street and all over the place via our MyFUMC app. Hello to everyone who's worshiping with us this morning, uh, either live or catching up later on on YouTube or other, some other recording. I'm so thankful that you're with us. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And I talk a lot about prayer. I try to do everything I can to teach people about prayer, to help people understand how it is that they can encounter the grace and the presence of God in their lives through prayer. At the end of the day, prayer is just talking to God and then stopping and quieting ourselves long enough to listen to see if God is saying anything back. This doesn't require us to be eloquent. It doesn't require us to say things perfectly. One of the tools that I like to teach people when it comes to trying to introduce people to regularly praying in their everyday life is that when you're driving somewhere by yourself, just put Jesus in the passenger seat and say whatever it is that you would say to him if he was riding along with you. And can I be honest with you? Jesus has been kind of getting an earful from me lately. And nothing he's done and nothing I've done. It's just one of those seasons. It's just one of those seasons of life where I'm just talking a lot. I mean, his voicemail is getting really full <laughs> for me. Just in one of those seasons where my heart is really pouring open. I've got a lot to say and to listen to in return. I'm in one of those seasons. Maybe you've been in one of those seasons like that as well. I want to ask you, I want to I start with a hypothetical this morning. Just something to consider. You know, a life of prayer involves intercession and petition, honoring yourself and other people by being truthful enough to ask God for the things that you wish were or weren't in the world. That's just part of what it is to communicate with God in prayer. But let me ask you, what would you ask God for if you knew with certainty that you would receive it? If you had a chance to ask God for something and you knew with absolute certainty you would receive it, what would you ask for? It's an interesting hypothetical. The first things that come to my mind for me in a season right now really revolve around healing. Healing of the body, healing of the psyche, healing of the spirit, hearing of the relationships for my family, for my friends, for people that I know and love, for our church community. I would just immediately think of healing. That's what came into my mind. What came into your mind? If you were able to pray and ask God for something with the absolute certainty that you would receive it, for what would you pray? Would it be something like, you know, the assurance of never dying? Would it be something like the permanent happiness of your children? Would it be something like the eradication of famine or hunger from the world? What would you actually ask for? All good things to ask for, right? All wonderful things, all good things to ask for. But when you start to really imagine this hypothetical seriously, you start to realize, oh, there's gaps there. I mean, I ask for healings of the body and the psyche and the relationship for all these people. And assuming I did receive exactly that, at the same time, I mean, new things would happen, new illnesses would happen, new challenges would face relationships. Even those miraculous healings wouldn't necessarily be permanent. We might be in that same situation again sometime. I think about the permanent happiness for our children, but life is finite. And what happens at the end of that time? Think about the eradication of hunger or disease. 
but there's still domestic violence. There's still war. There's still poverty. There's still, there's still, there's still. For what would you actually ask? That's the hypothetical I want us to consider today as we dive into our scripture reading. So we're in a sermon series right now, and it's the conclusion of a sermon series we've been in for for a number of weeks. But we're about to start another one. We have a new sermon series that we're going to begin next week called I Have My Doubts. And it's going to be about doubt. It's going to be about doubt. I don't think we talk enough in church about doubt. So we're going to talk about important doubts, big doubts, significant doubts. Is God really real? Is the Bible really trustworthy? Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the way? Real doubts. Let's talk about them. Too often people think that faith and doubt are somehow opposed to each other. And if you somehow have doubts, you're not a good person to faith. Some really good surveys have shown that of people who consider themselves extremely committed and faithful Christians, 95% have significant doubts. So we're going to talk about that. And if you're in the other 5%, God bless you. We'll have you speak. <laughs> we're going to talk about doubts in upcoming months, and how they're an important and integral part of a realistic and healthy life of faith. But today I want to conclude this sermon series. I've been talking for weeks about the idea of the greatest good news, and the entire premise is simple. There is the good news of God with us in Christ Jesus to reveal, to teach, to explain who God really is and who God would really have us be. So often it challenges people's preconceived notions of who's in, who's out, what really matters, and the arc of all of that is always towards God's divine love. The good news continues in Jesus' crucifixion and death and resurrection. God overcomes the power of sin and death and anything that we believe might separate us from God. We receive a promise of life eternal, a grace that is unmeasurable if we would just receive it. It's profoundly good news. Yeah, one of the things that I've talked about over the course of these past weeks is that the good news is even greater than that. Even more relevant than that. Even more practical to our everyday lives than that. Talked about how it is that God continues to break down the barriers between us and them. How it is that God continues to be present and active, teaching and revealing, empowering in our everyday life. It's, life of faith is not just assenting to the question, did Christ die and live again? It's living into the constant presence and power of a loving God. The good news is so much better than what you may have ever considered. And key to that, is the message that Paul has for us in today's scripture reading. Many of you will already know, but it's important to reconsider that the man named Paul, who wrote the majority of what we now have as our New Testament, did not be, uh, spend his entire life as a Christian. In fact, he was a young man who was a follower of the Jewish tradition in a certain way that was identified as being called a Pharisee. He was understood himself to be an expert in the faithful interpretation of Jewish law and practice. He saw to it that, I mean, he saw early Christians, these first believers in Jesus as the Messiah and the fulfillment of Jewish promises as people who were heretics, who were taking the faithful Jewish understanding and were perverting it somehow. So he took it upon themselves to not only to try to eradicate their faith, but to eradicate their lives. 
As Saul, he was an incredibly gifted persecutor, a murderer, an eradicator of the earliest followers of Jesus. He was on his way to do much more of the same in a foreign city when the resurrected Christ knocked him off his horse with a vision, blinded him, and then revealed himself to Saul. Not just for his own edification and his own life, but so Saul could be transformed into a new man with a new heart and a new faith and a new purpose, proclaiming that this incredible good news wasn't just for the community into which Jesus was born and in which he lived, but rather was for everybody everywhere. That's the mission that he was given, and that's the work that he goes to do. And that's the reason why he's communicating with this small church in Rome. Remember, the church in Rome would be smaller than the number of people gathered in our beautiful sanctuary here today. And the church in Rome is facing challenges and problems and concerns, just like all of us are here today. The reason that these writings are scripture for us is because they are obviously contain words and elements of truth that empower us and strengthen our faith today. And God continues to work through our reading of them. One of the things that Paul helps this young community in Rome understand is that they are living in a period of time that is colloquially referred to as the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. That's the time in which they live. That's the time we live in as well. The now is that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus happened. The gift of the Holy Spirit has happened, and it has secured and ensured the promise of God's work in the world. It has happened, and it can't be undone. And what is going to happen, what is going to culminate with God's purposes for all of creation is the reconciliation of everyone and everything to God through Christ. That's how this ends. That's where this is going. That's the culmination of God's purposes for all of creation. There's the now and this where, there's the where this is headed, but it is not yet. Now and not yet. We experience some now and not yet in our world today. It's graduation season, right? And we've all experienced the now and the not yet in relation to graduation. The culmination of graduation is the receiving of the, receiving of the diploma, the wearing of the robe, the turning of the tassel. That's its completion. But there's a moment where you're done with your classes, and you're done with your grades, and you've done the work, and you will graduate. It is happening but just not yet. And God forbid anybody try to tell you there's anything extra you got to do. <laughs> there's the now and the not yet. Anybody ever had a home under contract? Buying or selling? There's the now and the not yet. There's the completion of the sale, but not yet the overturning of the keys. You've done all that there is to graduate, but you haven't yet walked the stage. There's the now and the not yet. And the people of Rome are coming to understand that's the world in which they live. And many of Jesus' first followers understood the idea of the coming of what is to come across the span of just their own human lifetime. And as days have passed, and as weeks and months and years, and now decades have begun to pass, they've begun to wonder, are the promises still true? Is the work of Christ still active and at work? Do we still be, are we still able to rely and count on God's promises for the completion of all things? And Paul explains, you live in the now and the not yet. And I need you to understand the characteristic of this time. 
It revolves around life in the Spirit. We talked about that last week with the coming of Pentecost and the coming of the presence of God through the Spirit, not just for some people in some times and in some places for some purposes, like the people of Israel had observed for thousands of years, but constantly for all people, for you forever, if you would just trust and live into it. Life in between the now and the not yet is about opening yourself up to that power, that life-changing presence, if you would just receive it. And if you trust it, and if you follow it, and if you believe into it, it will change everything, he says. It's an incredible gift. And the thought of a gift so incredible, so undeserved, so amazing, this week made me think about what it is to be a parent. And have any of you, as a parent, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a grandparent, have any of you ever given an amazing gift that the recipient just might not have been ready for yet? I call this the give the six-year-old an iPad situation. <laughs> Has anybody ever had that happen in their family where the gift is incredible and also a little tenuous? I don't want to share too many family stories making fun of my kids, but they're not here. And let's just say one of my kid has received multiple RC monster cars. And the longest lived one has made it about 48 hours. <laughs> Sometimes there's a gift you're just not ready for. And the people of Rome are starting to see that in their lives. They're starting to see what it is to be favored by God and what it is to be redeemed by God and what it is to be loved by God and also to behave in ways that seem to be unworthy of it. They've seen fights in their community. They've seen what it is to continue to struggle even though you live on the other side of the resurrection and believe it with all of your heart. Their question, spoken or unspoken, is what happens when we don't live into it? Paul says you need to understand this gift from God, this power, this presence, the assurance of this moment, it's not fickle. It's not contingent. It doesn't require perfection at every time and every place. God knows who you actually are, and I need you to know this. God's faithfulness and God's goodness means God will work all things together towards your good. It doesn't mean that only good things will ever happen. It means that anything, no matter how broken, no matter how hurtful, no matter how wrong, anything and everything is not beyond God's capacity to restore, redeem, renew, and work towards the goodness of all people. That's the promise. He says, and you need to know that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that you do or leave undone, no power, no situation, no action of yourself or anybody else can ever fully and completely separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. It's a promise. Live into it. He says, what would you ask God for if you could ask God for anything? I've thought about that a lot over the course of this week. And as much as I want to see this healing and this assurance and this reconciliation and this provision, what I would really ask for if I could is to say, God, would you promise to never give up on me? 
God, would you promise to never turn from me? God, would you promise to always be there for me, no matter how much I fall down, no matter how much I fail to live into, no matter how turned around I get, or sick or get, or wronged I get, God, will you always be there? Will you always be restoring? Will you always be redeeming? Will you always be reconciling? And God, would those promises remain true on the other side of my funeral, and not just for me, God, but for my children, and for my spouse, and for my parents, for my friends, for my church, for the people that I love, for the people I haven't met, for the world. God, would you please do that? And God already has. God already did. God already answered that question before we even knew to ask. Nothing, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing. What does it mean for you to live trusting in that today? Let's pray. Great and loving God, sometimes you give so much more than we are even capable of asking for. Lord, sometimes you provide more than we've even thought to know was necessary. Lord, many of us have never even considered the possibility of living outside of your love. And Lord, that kind of assurance is only made possible because of your goodness. So Lord, no matter where our hearts and minds are set today, no matter the troubles that we face, no matter the concerns, the hurts, the worries, the fears, help us today to receive the fullness of the promise that you give us that your love is always with us, now and forever. It's in Christ's name that we give thanks. Amen.